0: Are you ready, Jared? I'm ready. I'm so excited about this series that we're getting ready to start today. So y'all, let's go. Let's jump in. All right. If you, if you haven't got your note sheet, you might want to grab one. There's some back in the back and everyone needs to follow along. Pull it out as we get started <laughs> this morning. It was May uh, 1945. German troops are surrendering on one side of the world, but on the other side of the world, the Japanese are fighting to the very last man to defend one final barrier island against an invasion of the Allied forces. And on this tiny island of Okinawa, U.S. troops repeatedly tried to capture the Maeda Escarpment, which is like a 500-foot cliff, a plateau, a flat rock face, that the soldiers came to call Hacksaw Ridge. After the company had climbed to the top of this ridge and, um, you know, created just a little bit of a, of a hold up on top of this mountain, that evening, the enemy forces fought back with such ferocity that um, there was this violent counterattack, and so the U.S. troops were suffering very, very heavy losses. And so the officers ordered that everybody retreat. And so the soldiers began to find a way to to get off of this cliff. And they were fumbling around in the dark, looking for ropes and ladders to climb down. And many fell. Some even jumped to their death. And all of the soldiers fought their way to just escape, except for one. Less than a third of the men who climbed up the hill, actually made it back down the hill. The rest lay wounded, scattered across now enemy soil. They were abandoned. They were left for dead. And if, if they weren't dead already, there was really not much hope for them. But one lone soldier, one soldier, disobeyed his officers' orders And he charged back into the firefight to rescue as many of those men who lay on the field as he could. And he did this with the mindset that I'm either going to rescue all these guys or I'm going to die trying. And his iron determination and his unflagging courage resulted in 75 lives being saved that day on May 5th. 1945, private first class Desmond Doss, you guys know, a combat medic and a faith-filled follower of Jesus, he wouldn't even carry a weapon, he was a pacifist, but he courageously, unselfishly risked everything to save the lives of as many as he could on that day. Now, eventually, the Americans retook Hacksaw Ridge, and Okinawa was captured inch by bloody inch. But several days later, during an un- unsuccessful night raid, Desmond Doss was severely, severely wounded. See, he, he was taking shelter in a shell hole with two riflemen when Japanese tossed a grenade in the little hole with them. And the grenade exploded and, and really damaged Desmond's leg a uh, shrapnel up into his hip, so he crawls out of the hole. And as he's trying to uh, bandage his own wounds, he gets hit in the arm with a bullet, shatters his arm, and there he lays on on the field of battle. The one who had saved so many lives, now where he can't do anything else. Medics rush to him and put him on a stretcher. But get this: laying there on the stretcher, bleeding, his life about to expire. He begs the people that are carrying his stretcher, please take someone else first. Get somebody else. Save someone else. And that's the kind of guy Desmond Doss was. Because after all, that was the kind of God he believed in, that was what he read about God in the Bible. He read and knew and believed in a God who saves. Look with me in Psalm 68. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior. For each day he carries us in his arms. Our God is a God who what? Y'all read it. Saves. The sovereign Lord rescues us from death. Praise God. Our God is a God who saves. We know and we have a relationship with Jesus, the Savior. Amen? We've experienced and we're living out a great salvation. So did you hear those words, saved, Savior, salvation? Those are all words that we hear a lot. All words that we know have something to do with Jesus, you know? But have we ever really stopped, paused long enough to understand what being saved is really all about. Jesus the Savior, you guys, is actually one of the main beliefs that we have in our fellowship, the Foursquare Church. If you've ever seen the Foursquare logo, it actually is the first square of Foursquare. That Jesus is the Savior. We really, this is an important thing to us. So we have it as a part of what we believe, we talk about it a lot, we sing about it in most every song this morning. But, What did Jesus do to save us? Why do I need to be saved even in the first place? How can I live in the joy and the victory of being saved? Well, I'm really glad that you asked. Thank you very much. (laughs) Because today I want to welcome you to our brand new teaching series called Our Great Salvation. How Jesus saves us from beginning to end. And over the next few weeks, we're going to learn about Jesus and what he did for each of us and how we can receive what God has done in our lives. So let me first begin with a little bit of a test. Um, Do you know what this is? Anybody? A map. Good. That's right. It's a map of what? Anybody want to tell me what that image is? Come on, go for it. The Grand Canyon, excellent, right, I'm sure many of you realize that. That's the Grand Canyon, okay, good. And now, what is this image? (laughs) This is also the Grand Canyon, but from a little bit different perspective, right? Okay, let me give you another one. What's this? That's the Grand Canyon, you're on to it now, you're getting it. But you can see that it's still yet from another perspective. And then maybe hopefully you'll get this one. What's this? This is also the Grand Canyon. But here, from another perspective, you're actually in the canyon, on the, on the canyon floor. And that's the journey that we're going to go on for these next few weeks. We're going to look and examine everything that we can about our great salvation from the Scripture from as many different perspectives as possible. We're going to look at it from over here, what it means from the Scripture. We're going to look at it from over there, and we're also going to look at it from inside of it, being saved and what all that means. We're going to learn how everyone needs to be rescued. We're going to learn how everyone needs to have the debt of their sin paid. We're going to learn how that we should be living in victory over sin, and we're going to learn how that the love of God initiated all of this in our direction. We'll see how God initiates, how he carries out, and how he finishes our being saved from beginning to end. So, let's begin this morning, you guys, with some very basic foundational definitions. We're going to begin with that word, save. Everybody say, save. Save. To save or be saved, I don't know if you know this, but it's, it's used 334 times in the Bible. This is a major part of the Scripture. Salvation isn't just a common theme that's in the Scripture. It's really the theme of the Bible. Salvation is the theme of the Bible. Let me give you just a few quick examples of what I'm talking about. The scripture says it like this. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to, what's the word again? Save the world through him. I know you know these scriptures, but look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and, come on, save those who are lost. Jesus' followers also echoed Jesus' word. You read this in 1 John chapter 4. Furthermore, we've seen with our own eyes, and now we testify, that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Even the Apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Timothy. He said this. Here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world, one more time, guys, to save. Everybody, to save sinners. Paul says, I'm proof. Public sinner, number one. I'm proof of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. I love that. You and me identify with that. Amen? Amen. So if the whole of the Bible, the whole of Scripture is about Jesus, how many of you believe that all the Bible is about Jesus? If the whole of the Bible is about Jesus, then the plot of the story about Jesus is salvation. It's how he saves us. It's how he rescues us. If you looked up the word save in the Oxford Dictionary, The first definition that you would come to is this, to rescue someone or something from harm or danger. Write that down in your notes. To rescue someone or something from harm or danger. Rescue, like she saved a boy from drowning. There's other ways, of course, in which saved is used in the scripture, but for our discussion this morning, we're just going to keep it this simple. Saved means rescued. To save means to rescue. With this simple definition in mind, saving means rescue, then think about this. Jesus the Savior means Jesus the guy who rescues us, right? And salvation, if we think about saving meaning rescue, then salvation is The act of us being rescued. Pretty cool. Saving means being rescued. That brings me back to the question. Rescued from what? Why do we need to be saved? Why do we need to be rescued? And how does Jesus do it? So for that answer, we need to go back to the beginning of the story. Actually, the whole Bible is the story of humanity's need for rescue, and how God planned and pulled off this daring rescue. But for the point of simplifying it, for the time that we have here this morning, I'm going to break down the story of our rescue into five snapshots. Can you imagine a little Polaroid where you go, and you just get a brief picture of the moment, okay? Today's story of rescue is going to be broken down into five snapshots. Snapshot number one, we messed up. No, that's wrong. God creates us for good. Snapshot number two, we mess it up. Snapshot number three, we continue to mess it up. Snapshot number four, Jesus rescues us. Snapshot number five, we receive our rescue. Let's go to snapshot number one, and we will begin in the beginning of the book. Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says this. In the beginning, what? God, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's so simple, right? It's so incredibly simple. You all know this verse. If I were to tell you, quote the first book, verse verse of the Bible, everybody would say, in the beginning, God. But I want you to keep this important truth in mind. Before there was anything, friends, before there was anything at all, there was God. Eternally existing, outside of the universe that he will make. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They were there before beginning began. They really were. And God creates our everything. Like, he creates it all. The universe, all that's in it. And on the sixth day of creation, he creates something really, really special. Us. Yeah? Let's read about it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and birds in the air, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth. All the hunters said, Amen. And the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. Wow. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Verse 28 says, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Humankind, you and me, all of us, we were formed in the image of God. To be like God, both male and female, created in God's wonderful image and in the likeness of God. That's a lot to take in. But can I just pause for a second and say, if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you're looking at, remember, you're made in the image and in the likeness of God. He stamped his image on you when he created you. So man and woman, they're blessed by God. God says, this is good. You guys should flourish, multiply. You're going to um, develop and rule this earth. And it's just awesome. God created it really good. And I want you to think about this. Our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve, they walked with God in this like beautiful, beautiful home, this home garden that that he had placed them in. They actually walked with God. It was a really, really good life. They tended to the creation that God had made, and they experienced a very close relationship with their creator. God himself even said that it was really, really good. Here in verse 31, Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Can I just tell you from the beginning, you and I were created good. It was a really, really good setup. But it wasn't to last, was it? (laughs) Because snapshot number two is, we mess it up. We mess it up. Adam and Eve, first humans, they choose to not trust God. They decide that, you know, he might not be telling us the truth. He he might be holding out on us. So in an act of selfishness that is going to define the rest of us for all of our existence and for all of history, Adam and Eve, they disobey the one rule that God has set for them. And they foolishly believe in their hearts that they know better than God, right? Right? And, the, and in this act, you guys, of doing things their own way, this is what they do. They do things their own way instead of God's way, disobeying their creator. This is the first human sin. Everybody say sin. Augustine says that sin is an utterance, a deed, or a desire that is contrary to eternal law. He's What he's saying is, Sins are the things we say, the things we do, or the things that we desire that are opposite to what God plans for us. And this is what even Adam do. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, even though God had said don't. No. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Look at this. At that moment, their eyes were open. But something else happened. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness because they had disobeyed God's way and they realized it, it, it wasn't all that it had promised. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And friends, this is the moment where the need for our rescue began. When these guys decided, we're going to do things our own way. Proverbs 27, 12 says this. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Um, Adam and Eve, they didn't see the danger. And so they suffered the consequences. And the consequences are like this. The Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. He sent Adam out to cultivate the ground, get this, from which he had been made. Like Adam's living in in luxury in the garden. And now he has to go and work the very dust that he was formed from. As a consequence of them choosing their own way over God's way, they lose a close connection with God. They lose the relationship that they had had with God walking together in fellowship in the garden. They're going to have to work and strive just to make ends meet. And, and the, short, the shortened life that they're going to live is always going to be a constant struggle with pain and difficulty until the day that they die. Adam and Eve sinned, and the price tag was more than they ever, ever expected. Now, did, did you guys notice in your notes the little asterisk by we? Uh, we? I put a little asterisk there because we know this. Although it was completely Adam and Eve's decision, their sin, it was their sin that got them expelled from the garden, how many of you know they weren't the only ones in that story? Right? Because their disobedience had a little help down the road. You know who it was? It was Satan. The enemy of God was there in the garden. And Satan deceived the humans, Adam and Eve, and they took the bait. Humans are kind of led by sin by the one who wants to destroy God and everything good that he makes. And because humans take that bait, they mess it up. So, thanks a lot, Satan, right? Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve, right? How many of you feel that way? Thanks a lot, guys. Well, we shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) Because snapshot number three tells us this. We continue to mess it up. We, every morning, amen. We continue to mess it up. If you're here this morning and you really want to be hard on Adam and Eve, you want to to blame them for everything, you're not really living in the reality of what it means to be human, right? Ever since the first sin, that's pretty much what we've been doing, amen? Although we're made in the image of God, created good, we, you and me, continue to sin. We sin in what we do. Say We sin in what we do. We sin in what we desire because we do these things contrary to what God wants for us. Every one of us, all of us in this room, sin. And we continue to mess it up. Scripture defines it like this. When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to who? Who who did it spread to? Everyone. For everyone sinned just going to skip down a little bit in romans chapter 5 to verse 19 it says this because one person disobeyed god many became sinners we became sinners just following in the footsteps of our forefather and mother And really early in human history, back in Genesis chapter 6, God sees just how bad this is going, and we get a picture of how our sinning makes God feel. Check out what God says in in, uh, Genesis chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth. Look at this line. It broke God's heart. I mean, think about that. He placed them in the garden, and they decided to do it their own way, and now they're, they're reaping the consequences of that decision, and God's heart is broken over it. He's like, oh, man, what has been lost? Humans born into this world now are kind of, uh, how shall we say it, skewed a little bit in our nature. We're we're different now, friends, than we we were originally created. We're different. The scripture says this, Psalm 51.5, the psalmist, I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I was born to do things, to say things, to desire things, That are contrary to the Lord. And uh, isn't isn't it amazing? How many of you have young kids in the home? Raise raise your hand. Young kids in the home. Isn't it amazing that you don't have to teach kids how to sin? You don't have to teach toddlers how to be violent. They figure it out on their own. You don't have to teach young people how to lie. We're just born to do it, right? We do. We, We really, really do. I love this quote from Rita Mae Brown. Lead me not into temptation. I can find the way myself. <laughs> How many of you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, this is us. We we get there, right? On our own. But guys, it's not that we sin. Not just that we sin. It's that we become enslaved to sin. We become chained to it. Sin controls us. It locks us up in such a way that it really ruins our lives. Sin and its consequences make, make us hurt ourselves. You with me? And hurt others around us. We selfishly look out for ourselves and do things our own way instead of God's way. And when we do that, we lie, we cheat, we steal from the people around us. We choose to please ourselves, and we really don't care who it hurts. Amen? It's true. So like Adam and Eve before us, like all of humanity around us, we continue to mess it up. We live in the pit of our own destruction, a prison that we have made. You can't blame anybody else for it. The prison that we live in, we have made because we decide to go our own way. Chained to the consequences of our own sins, all the devastation and the destruction that it brings into our lives. And that's what we need to be rescued from. That's why we need to be rescued. What do we need to be rescued from? Ourselves. (laughs) Our sin. All the destruction and the death that comes when I do things my own way. You and I are born in this state of separation from God. Active rebellion, if you will, against the way of God. It's true of every single one of us. That's why we need to be rescued. And that's what we need to be rescued from. It's a predicament that you and I cannot escape from without some outside intervention. (laughs) And that takes us. To snapshot number four. Write this down on your notes. Jesus rescues us. Jesus rescues us. Jesus himself describes how it happened to Nicodemus in their nighttime meeting in John chapter 3. Some of the most famous scripture in the Bible, but listen to it in this light. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God loved us and knows that humanity needs a rescue. And so he gives generously his son so that we don't have to live in the effects of our sin. Look at the next verse. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We have a compassionate God who sees the predicament that you and I are in, and he's done something about it. He gave Jesus to rescue us for our sins. He sent his son to save us, to rescue us. Can I take you to Romans chapter five? Because this is some of the most poetic and beautiful scripture in the Bible about this rescue. It says this, when we were utterly helpless, utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Uh, the, The writer here is trying to say, you know, some people would do something nice for somebody else, but that's not what we're talking about here. Because God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we're still sinners. We're still messing it up. And yet God sent Jesus to rescue us. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation, rescue us. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved, rescued through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, because the Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Amen. Amen. Isn't that taking us back to where it began? Walking with God in friendship. Jesus makes that possible. Later on there in Romans chapter 5, it says this, yes, Adam's one sin, sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life. For everyone. We've already read the beginning of this verse, but now let me share with you the back half of this verse. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. That's us. But because one other person, that's Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Me and you. Me and you. Because Jesus came to rescue us. If I could just kind of recap those scriptures you and I are helpless, we're in need of a rescue. From the consequences of our sin. And Jesus came to rescue us. He did this by dying for us. Think of it. Just a perfect, sinless man dying for a sinner like me. In God's sight, the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross rescues us from our sins. It reaches down into our pit, and it pulls us out, rescuing us from the destruction that our decisions are causing. The blood that Jesus shed rescues us from God's judgment on us. Yes, Adam and Eve disobeyed, and now I disobey too, but because Jesus obeyed, now I can be put right, set everything right with my Maker. I think that's awesome. And that's our great salvation. That's it. That's what it means to be saved. Jesus saves. John Stott, one of my favorite authors, said it like this. Christianity is a rescue religion. (laughs) This is a faith that you and I have. It's a rescue religion. It declares that God has taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. This is the main theme of the Bible. Here's how we read about it. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. How many of you believe that Jesus rescues us? Amen. Which takes us to our final snapshot. Snapshot number five. We receive our rescue. We receive our rescue. There's a great story in Acts chapter 16. The Apostle Paul and his companion Silas have been put in prison. And they've been beaten. And in the the midnight hour, they're singing songs of praise to God when an earthquake happens. The prison is shaken loose, their chains fall off, and they're free to go. And in that moment, their jailer, the guy who's holding them in prison, is so convinced that God is real that he asks them, "How how can I experience what you guys are experiencing? So look at this verse here in Acts chapter 16. He says, then he brought them out, this is the jailer, and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's asking the question that we should be asking today. Jesus rescued us. What do I need to do to receive this rescue? Well, here's what Paul and Silas said. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. Do you see how simple an answer that is. Don't we make it more complicated sometimes? But in that moment of desperation, hey, hey, what do I gotta do to be saved like you guys? Paul and Silas say, believe in Jesus, you'll be rescued. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. Can I tell you, it's the same today. What do you have to do to be rescued? What do I have to do to be rescued? I have to believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. You'll be rescued. There's there's so much to salvation and we're going to be digging it out over the next few weeks. Believe me, we're going to get into some of the more details on this. But for today, can we just stop right there and go, to be rescued from my sins... I just need to believe that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus said it like this himself, John chapter 6. I tell you the truth anyone who believes has eternal life. We've been reading from John 3 all morning. He said there, there's no judgment against anyone who believes. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and his only son. Jesus puts a very, very high priority on simply believing that he is God's son and that he's come to give his life in exchange for the punishment of your sins. John 3, 16, one more time. This is how God loved the world. He gave His only one Son that everyone who, and here's that word, just believes, just believes. Everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. We receive the rescue that Christ has provided for us by believing wholeheartedly. When I say wholeheartedly, I mean life affecting kind of belief the kind of belief in jesus that will turn your world upside down the kind of belief in jesus that will that will change the things that you say do and desire if you believe in jesus you can receive the rescue that he has for you. believing in him as god's son Believing that his death on the cross covers your sin. Believing that his resurrection from the dead provides victory over sin and death and all of its power over you. So, our question this morning is this understanding that Jesus is the Savior. Do you need a rescue? Do you need to be rescued? from your sins all the things that you say and do and desire that are opposite from God's image for you do you need a rescue from the trap of the sins that you're doing and the prison that you find yourself in if that's you this morning can I just encourage you to begin by believing in Jesus it's the starting place if you will believe this morning that you need a Savior. Believe this morning that you need Jesus and receive Him as the rescue that you need. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me all across this room. We're just going to pray very quickly that God would lead these last few moments in an appropriate response to what we've heard. So Holy Spirit, thank you For opening up the scripture to us today and pointing to Jesus, the answer for humanity's problem. I thank you, Lord, for pointing to Jesus, the rescue from the pit that I'm in. I pray, God, in these next few moments, you you would let us be honest with ourselves and respond in the right way. Amen. Can I encourage you to just look up at the screen with me for a moment and listen to these questions and try to answer them in your own heart where you sit. In what areas in my life am I speaking, acting, or desiring contrary to God's way for me. Think about that for a moment. What ways is my life not lining up with God's desire for me? And I tell you right now, some of you are hearing things in the, in the stillness of your heart and you it's like this is being pointed out to you, that's being pointed out to you. That's the Holy Spirit. Speaking right into your situation, only what only what He knows and you know, what's been kept secret. Holy Spirit is just speaking to that right now, and He's bringing areas into your life where you're disobeying God, and you have need to be rescued. So the second question is this: If you look honestly at your whole life, you look at you look across all the areas of your life, do. Do you need a rescue from your sins this morning? Do you need a rescue from the consequences of your sin today? And Then finally, this is the important question that every one of us has to ask ourselves have I ever believed in Jesus for the rescue that my life needs some of us coast through our life knowing that God's out there but never really turning to face him and our sins trap us perhaps you're here this morning and you're just feeling chained to the life that you've made for yourself, and perhaps this morning you just want to turn Jesus' direction and believe on Him, believe that you need Him, believe that He's the answer that your life desperately needs, believe that He can actually rescue you from the consequences of your living your life against God. in a real different response that we normally might have. This morning, we're just gonna call for some crazy big courage, some massive steps of faith. But if you're here today and this last question is hitting you hard because you need a rescue from your sins. Whether this is the first time that you've asked Christ into your heart or maybe you're away from God and you've been going your own way and you need to ask Jesus to rescue you maybe again, I'm going to ask for you to do something crazy, bold, and courageous. I want you, if this is you and you need a rescue from your sins, I want to ask you just to stand up and come down here to the front. We have some altars, some kneeling benches, and I just want to encourage you, if you need to believe in Jesus to rescue for your sins, be bold, stand up. Make your way down here and kneel at one of these altars and just begin to talk to Jesus. When you do that, we have circle.